Lesson 3 for April 8 through to 14, A Royal Priesthood. Sabbath afternoon, April 8. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we open your word this week, as we come to look at how we relate to you and what we find in the books of Peter, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us, that not only will our hearts and our minds be in tune with you, but that our service to you will be such that others may know that you are our God, that Jesus saves us, and that his Spirit is working with us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Let's read that again, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Immersed as he is in Jewish culture, religion and history, Peter refers to the Christians he is writing to as a holy nation, God's own people. By doing so, he is taking covenant language that the Old Testament uses to refer to ancient Israel, applying it here to the New Testament church. And no wonder. Gentile believers in Jesus have been grafted into God's covenant people. They are now partakers of the covenant promises as well. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, through a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. That's Romans 11, verses 17 and 18. In the passages for this week, Peter points his readers to the sacred responsibility and high calling that they have as God's covenant people, those who, using Paul's language, have been grafted into the olive tree. And among those responsibilities is the same as what ancient Israel had, proclaiming the great truth of the salvation offered in the Lord. Sunday, April 9, Living as a Christian. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 1 begins with therefore, meaning that what follows results from what came before. 1 Peter chapter 1 we saw was a tour de force in regard to what Christ has done for us and how we should respond to what he has done for us. In the next chapter, Peter picks up this theme and takes it further. Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. What is Peter telling us about how we should live? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, evil, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, 
if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Peter uses two separate images to show that Christians have a double duty. One is negative in that some things are discarded. The other is a positive in that we should seek to do something. In his first image, Peter urges Christians to rid themselves of malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and all evil speaking in verse 1. In doing this, Christians will conduct themselves differently from the way that many of those around them do. Because they've discarded malice, they will not desire to harm others, but instead will seek their good. Because Christians have discarded insincerity, they will not act to deceive others, but will be straightforward and honest. Christians will not envy those who have more than they do. They will be content with their lives and flourish where providence has placed them. Nor will they make statements that deliberately damage another's reputation. The second image that Peter uses, that of a baby hungry for milk in verse 2, provides the positive side of his instruction. Christian life is not merely a matter of giving up bad things. Such a life would be empty. No, it is a matter of seeking spiritual nourishment, but with the same intensity that a hungry baby cries out for milk. He points readers to the source of that spiritual nourishment, the Word of God, the Bible. As we also read in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piecing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And Matthew chapter 22, verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God, and Second Timothy 3.15-17, through to 17, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is in the Word of God that we can grow spiritually and morally, because in it we have the fullest revelation possible, at least to us, of Jesus Christ. And in Jesus we have the greatest representation of the character and nature of the Holy God we are to love and serve. And so to finish today, how are these two ideas related to each other? That is, why would seeking spiritual nourishment from the Word help us lay aside the bad actions and attitudes that Peter is warning us about? Monday, April 10. The Living Stone. Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through to 8, and Isaiah 28, 16, Psalm 118, verse 22, and Isaiah 8, 14 to 15. What crucial truth is Peter referring to here? What is he saying to us about how we should act in response to Jesus? 
First Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. After telling his readers to seek spiritual nourishment, Peter immediately directs their attention to Jesus Christ, the living stone, most likely a reference to the Jerusalem temple. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-8, to 8, which we've just read, he cites three Old Testament passages that highlight the significance of cornerstones, which represent the role of Jesus in his church. Peter is not alone in linking these verses to Jesus. Jesus himself used Psalm 118 verse 22 at the conclusion of one of his parables in Matthew 21 verse 42. Psalm 118:22 reads, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Peter does likewise in Acts chapter 4 in his speech to the Jewish leadership, and Paul uses Isaiah 28.16 in Romans 9.33. Peter's point is that even though Jesus was rejected and crucified, he was chosen by God to become the cornerstone of God's spiritual house. Christians, then, are living stones that are built into this spiritual house. By using the terminology of the cornerstone and building blocks, Peter is presenting an image of the church. The church is founded upon Jesus, but is made up of those who follow him. Isaiah 8, 14-15 read, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. In Matthew twenty one forty two, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Notice that Becoming a Christian means that you become part of a Christian community or local church. Just as a brick is to be built into a larger structure, so also Christians are not called to be followers of Jesus in isolation from others. A Christian who does not worship and work with other Christians to further the kingdom of God is a contradiction in terms. Christians are baptised into Christ, and by being baptised into Christ, they are baptised into his church. Peter also talks about the function of the church. It is to form a holy priesthood in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that offers spiritual sacrifices. In the Hebrew Bible, the priests mediate between God and his people. 
The words of Peter and the others of the New Testament often use the language of temple and priesthood to present the church as the living temple of God and his people as its priests. He is pointing to the Old Testament system of worship in order to reveal truths about how Christians should live and act today. And so, to finish today, read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 again. What does it mean to offer up spiritual sacrifices? How do Christians, as part of a community at worship, do that? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Tuesday, April 11, God's Covenant People Peter is writing very much from an Old Testament perspective. And central to this perspective is the idea of covenant, a theme so central to Jewish and Christian theology. What is a covenant? Covenant, or the Hebrew word berit, B-E-R-I-T, is a word that describes a treaty or formal agreement between two parties. It could be made between two individuals, for example, as in Laban and Jacob in Genesis chapter 33 verse, sorry, 31 verse 44, or between two kings, for example, Solomon and Hiram in 1 Kings 5.12, where Beret is translated as league in the King James Version and treaty in the New Revised Standard Version. It could also be made between a king and his people, such as David and the elders of Israel in 2 Samuel 5 verse 3. Prominent among these themes is the special covenant relationship that exists between God and his chosen people, the descendants of Abraham. Question. Read Genesis 17 verses 1 through to 4, Exodus 2:24, Exodus 24 verses 3 to 8. What do these texts tell us about the covenant God made with Israel? Genesis 17 verses 1 through to 4. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24, So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and Exodus 24, verses 3 through to 8. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. 
And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said we will do, and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you, according to all these words. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, recounts how God made a covenant with Abraham, twice in Genesis 15, verses 9 to 21, and 17, verses 1 to 20. God remembered this covenant when he rescued his people from oppression in Egypt, as we've just read in Exodus 2.24. God renewed it at the time of Moses when he gave the Ten Commandments and other laws to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 19 and especially in Exodus 24.3-8, which we've just read also. But the covenant promises were not unconditional. Ellen White writes in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, page 574. The Lord covenanted that if they were faithful in the observance of his requirements, he would bless them in all their increase and in all the work of their hands. End of quote. Indeed, the prophets repeatedly warned Israel of the dangers of disobedience to God's law, often using language reminiscent of the covenant. It has been argued that, with the possible exception of the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation, many prophecies in the Bible are conditional. That's how central the idea of obedience is in regard to the covenant promises. The covenantal promises of blessing were conditional on obedience to God's law, and prophecies of doom applied only to the disobedient. And so to finish today, what does it mean to you to be in a covenant relationship with God? What obligations does this covenant relationship place on you? Wednesday, April 12, A Royal Priesthood In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, the Lord said to Moses, in verses 3 to 6, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Here's a gospel message revealed millennia before the cross. God redeems his people, saving them from sin and the bondage of sin, and then he commands them to love and obey him as a special covenant people before him and before the world. Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 5, 9 and 10, and Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. What does Peter mean when he calls Christians a royal priesthood and a holy nation? What does this language say to us as Seventh-day Adventist Christians about our obligations? First of all, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
and verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Spiritual house, chosen generation, royal priesthood, and God's own people are all terms of honour that in the Bible describe the special relationship that God had with the descendants of Abraham. Now, in the context of the New Testament, in the context of Jesus and the cross, Peter is using the same covenant language and applying it to members of the church. The covenant promises made to Israel have now been widened to include not just the Jews who believe in Jesus, but Gentile believers as well. Yes, through Jesus, Gentiles too can claim to be children of Abraham, as it says in Galatians 3.29, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs, according to the promise. Through Christ, anyone, regardless of birth, can become part of this royal priesthood. So to finish today, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, applied to ourselves, what should terms like this mean in regard to the kind of lives we live, both as individuals and as a community? How can we better live up to this high calling? Thursday, April 13, Proclaiming the Praises The parallels with the Old Testament church didn't end with just salvation and being called out and chosen by God. The question is, called out and chosen for what? Peter quickly gives the answer. Peter points out that this special relationship is for a purpose. Christians are too, as he says in verse 9 of chapter 2 of First um, Peter, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. This is what ancient Israel was to do. God called them to be witnesses of him to the world. God's purpose was to bless the whole world through ancient Israel, his covenant people. Question. Read the following texts. What's the one point that they all have in common? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And Deuteronomy twenty six eighteen to 19 Also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made, in praise, in name, and in honour, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. And Isaiah 60, verses 1 through to 3 Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. 
but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And Zechariah 8.23 Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Ancient Israel, as the covenant people, had a mission to reach the world with the gospel, the salvation offered by the Lord. Christians have the same divine mission. They are called to share with others their experience and knowledge of God and what He has done for the world through Christ. Question. Read 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. Why is this text so central to the whole mission and purpose of of Christians. First Peter chapter two verse ten who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. The world is steeped in sin, in death, in impending doom, but Jesus gave his life to save everyone from this destruction. As with Israel of old, the terms of honour are also terms of responsibility. Christians have an extraordinarily high status, that of the people of God. But this brings the responsibility to invite others to share in that high status. As 1 Peter 2.10 states, Christians now form their own people. They once were not a people, but have now received mercy to become a holy people. In the Bible... The word holy usually has the meaning of set aside for the purpose of worship. Therefore, as a holy nation, Christians are to be separated from the world, a distinction seen in the kind of lives that they live. They are also to be like a fire on a cold night, which will draw others to its warmth. Christians are tasked with the responsibility of sharing with others the glorious salvation of which they have partaken. Friday, April 14. Ellen White writes in Christ Object Lesson, page 298, The Church is very precious in God's sight. He values it, not for its external advantages, but for the sincere piety which distinguishes it from the world. He estimates it according to the growth of the members in the knowledge of Christ, according to their progress in spiritual experience. Christ hungers to receive from his vineyard the fruit of holiness and unselfishness. He looks for the principles of love and goodness. Not all the beauty of art can bear comparison with the beauty of temper and character to be revealed in those who are Christ's representatives. It is the atmosphere of grace which surrounds the soul of the believer, the Holy Spirit working upon mind and heart, that makes him a savour of life unto life, and enables God to bless his work. And that brings us to our three discussion questions, four discussion questions for this week. One, what is it like to be called out of darkness into his marvellous light? What does that mean? If you were to explain this idea to someone who didn't believe in Jesus, what would you say? 
What is the darkness? What is the light? And what is the difference between the two in the context of what Peter is talking about? And question two. In Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 to 8, we read, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all his law, which I set before you this day? In what ways do these words apply to us as Seventh-day Adventists and what we have been called by God to do, because of all that we have been given. And three, read First Peter chapter 2 and verse 3. What does Paul mean when he says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, how have you tasted of this grace? First Peter chapter 2 verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And question four. Look around at your local church. What is it about your church, if anything, that makes it and you, who are members of it, appealing to those who know nothing about Seventh-day Adventists or about what we believe? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is the third part of The Cancelled Funeral. I was still sleeping when a knock awakened me at dawn. Pastor, come. She's dead again. One Ojo's mother cried. In disbelief, I opened the door and asked what had happened. While we slept, her father came home. Maybe he put the herbs on her, she said. Someone wanted a One Ojo to die. Was it the father? Perhaps it was her mother, too. Should I go back and pray again? Would God be honoured? One Ojo's mother knelt before me and begged me to come and pray with her daughter. I went. Once again, I prayed for the girl and she awoke again. This time I told her mother to take one Ojo away from the village. Her mother agreed and one Ojo's brother took her to relatives in another village. One Ojo returned home several months later, strong and healthy. She continued her Bible studies and was baptized along with nine other new believers. On her baptismal day, One Ojo took the name Blessing to signify her new life. Her presence in the village is a testimony to God's power to save, even from death. Today, 70 believers worship in a single shelter near One Ojo's home in central Nigeria. The story of One Ojo spread throughout central Nigeria and opened doors to share God's love with people in neighbouring villages. Many people have come to know Jesus as their friend and saviour because of God's power in the life of One Ojo. Your regular weekly mission offerings support the work of global mission pioneers around the world. 
Your 13 Sabbath offerings support specific projects in the featured world division for each quarter. This quarter, the 13 Sabbath offering will be going to the West Central Africa Division, or WAD, where it will be used to help build a youth multipurpose centre at Babcock University in Nigeria and a new school, Central Africa Union Mission Academy in Gabon. Thank you for your generous weekly gifts to missions and to the 13th Sabbath offering. You also may give to missions anytime on our secure website at giving.adventismission.org. And this story was written by Alan Rujo Ogun Bile, and he's from Oyo, Nigeria. Often served as a global mission pioneer, he studied theology at Babcock University in Nigeria. Well, we came to the end of that story and what a glorious end it was. Have a great Sabbath. This lesson was read by Dr. Percy Harrell. It was recorded in the studios of Christian Services for the Blind. This podcast is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department and through the services of Hope Channel.